Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. Hopefully you just heard my chair crack really, creak really loud. Fun fact about this episode, I definitely recorded the first like two or three minutes without actually recording it. I was just talking to nobody. It's fun stuff. But anyway, what's up, y'all? My name is Chase Krauss. Welcome to Catholics with Bibles. Uh, today is an exciting day. We're finishing up our Bible study on 1 Thessalonians. Uh, so we're going to be reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you know, plugging away, praying through it, reading through it. And then uh, we'll kind of set up for 2 Thessalonians. Uh, a few weeks back, we we kind of laid the foundation, uh, found foundation, foundation. Groundwork and foundation um, for uh, the Thessalonican community and, and why, you know, how Paul got connected with them and their backstory. So we won't re- really need to redo that, right? We're not going to redo that because the community didn't really change. But we will, at the end of this episode, kind of uh, set ourselves up for next week why he wrote the second Thessalonians, why the need was. It's a much shorter letter. Um, and, but we'll kind of set ourselves up so that next week we can just dive right on into second Thessalonians. So the Greek word of the day is soterion or soterios. This is the Greek word for salvation. And so one of the things that uh, we have to remember is that we the Greek word for salvation, soterion, existed before uh, Christianity. It, it is literally a, it a Greek word. Um, and it, it meant salvation from everything, right? So you save me from debt. You save me from peril. You save me from my mom or whatever it was. Um, and, 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 this, and Paul's using this word for ultimate salvation, right? Salvation in Jesus Christ. And usually when we hear that word today, or at least in Catholic circles, we think salvation like, oh, as in the salvation offered us uh, through Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, and it's still super valid way to use that word, obviously. But just keep in mind that um, it can mean kind of different layers or different nuances to, to words, especially in Greek. Uh, side tangent, when I was studying Greek back in the day, one of the most frustrating things in the world was that some Greek words, actually a lot of Greek words, can literally mean multiple things and sometimes are closely related, sometimes they're not related at all. Uh, same with Hebrew. The Hebrew word for, for soul is the same word for neck. Um, <laughs> so, um, and, and you know, a lot of times we ask a professor, like, well, what does it mean? It could literally mean this, it could literally mean this. And the professor would be like, just use context clues. And we're like, you're not helpful at all. And he's like, sorry, it's just a language. <laughs> um, but anyway, we don't use context clues here. The, so Tyrion, it just means salvation. Uh, so we're going to finish chapter five today. So we're going to start here with verses one through 11. If you are listening to this uh, on your phone or if you have your phone handy or if you have a Bible handy, open up the Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5. If you don't have a Bible handy, then Google 1 Thessalonians 5, and type in ESV. That's the translation I'm using for this. Uh, if you're driving, don't look anything up. Don't read anything. Just just drive. I'll read it to you. Don't worry. Um, so we're going to dive into verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, 
for that day to, to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For hope has not destined us for sorry, for God has not destined us for, for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Okay, so the end of chapter four, we took a whole episode at the end of chapter four, the last paragraph, because uh, Paul was talking about the parousia, uh, which is the end time, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, so Paul is transitioning here. We we're pivoting here. Um, and you, you can tell he's pivoting. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, right? So that's the, the, that's the theme of this section, times and seasons. And times and seasons, if you read like first uh, Acts chapter one, verse seven, I think, um, it, it's a, it's a term for the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, which he was kind of already talking about. He's just pivoting, kind of talking about a different uh, aspect of it. Uh, and he says, you have no need to have anything written to you. Once again, he had, he's talked about this before. He's talked he's taught them about the times and the seasons, right? This is something he's taught them before. But for the sake of, uh, you know, putting, a, putting at ease their worries or concerns, uh, he's going to elaborate on it more. Um, he does so in verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. And this times and seasons, this second coming, this particular one has has more of a, you can you can tell it's more of a judgmental tone, not like, like what we say judgmental, like God's like judging you, like, oh my gosh, your shoes are so ugly. Like, no, like not like that. Um, but rather he is coming to give judgment to the world. You have something like this in, in Obadiah verse 15, um, Obadiah, such a fun prophet, such a fun name. Name one of my kids, Obadiah. Babe, if you listen to this, heads up. Obadiah coming your way. <laughs> Call him Ob for short. Um, but uh, uh, he, and that's just one uh, instance of the Old Testament where that second coming definitely has judgment tied into it. So judgment is a, is a part of why God is going to come at the end of time. And so it's going to come like a thief in the night. And so this brings upon this theme of night, night, or night and day, light and darkness that is kind of through this paragraph here. And one of the things that worries us naturally is what's going to happen when we go to sleep, right? I mean, maybe, I mean, hopefully that's not something you constantly worry about, but, you know, this is something that we're, especially in Paul's day when, you know, they didn't have like super secure houses and stuff. I mean, you break down the doors or you just, they didn't have locks on them anyway. And a lot of the times, and you just, you worry about getting, you couldn't protect yourself at night if you're sleeping. And it's like a thief in the night. So the people who aren't in the day, which Paul's going to talk about, uh, they're, they're, a, they're fearful of the second coming or when they die, they're fearful of death uh, because they don't know what to expect and they don't know what's on the other side. And, and in verse three, he says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So certain theologians actually uh, think Paul's kind of taking a shot at Rome here. Uh, why is that? It's because uh, Rome was brilliant at propaganda. Um, every country does propaganda to a certain extent. 
it's just basically, you know, the this idea that the country is going to push whatever message they want its citizens to believe. And so in Rome, in particular, Pax, that Roman word for peace, um, a Latin word for peace, I should say, uh, it, it was a, definitely a theme throughout the empire. Caesar, the reason Caesar got power and that the Caesars reigned for so long was to bring peace to the empire, was to bring peace to the world, was to spread uh, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, to, uh, to the world. And Paul kind of taking a shot at that. Is that people are going to be saying there's, there's peace and security, right? I mean, Rome has conquered all. Rome is going to be, the state is going to bring us security and salvation. And, and that's what's going to bring us peace to live a good life here on earth. And uh, Paul is basically calling that out as just, just foolishness, right? Stupidity. And, and we see that even in, in today's culture too, where um, there's an excellent book uh, by George, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, Benjamin Weichel, I think is his name. Weigel? Weichel. Anyway, the book's called Worshiping the State. Google it. I'll put it on the show notes so you can look it up. Um, but anyway, this idea of this new people, when they, we have to worship something. People, and it's in our nature. And, and Bishop Barron always points out the worship, the word comes from this old English, worthship. So what do you put most worth in, most stock in? And because people are turning more and more agnostic, atheistic, they have to put their worth in something. And so they turn to government to try to satisfy all their problems and, and to bring peace on earth. And they, so they're worshiping the state's whole book about it. It's a fascinating book. You should read it. But anyway, um, and so Paul seeing this foolishness, right? Saying how, what are you talking about? No, Caesar, Rome is not going to bring you lasting peace because you're going to die one day. Right. And, and even before that, if you, before you die, Jesus is going to come one day. The Lord's going to return one day. And then you want to answer to him. And, and then the, another analogy says it like, like labor pains. You know, today, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you have, uh, if you're a woman, if you've gotten pregnant before, if you're married, you know, your wife's gotten pregnant. But I remember when uh, my, wife got, my wife and I got pregnant with our first baby, we, you know, it's kind of scary. Um, especially as you get into that ninth month where you don't really know when the water is going to break. Right. But at the same time, technology these days has gotten so good where, you know, whether you've scheduled C-section or whether or not you're going to be induced, um, you have a fairly good idea of when, uh, labor is going to go down, you know? Um, and especially like, you know, technology is so good nowadays where, you know, the doctor is going to be like, all right, any day now. And so you're kind of expecting it, you know, and, um, especially if, if you have to be induced and you literally know the exact day and time, C-section, same thing. Um, so we kind of lost this sense of mystery around pregnancy nowadays, but in antiquity, I mean, they knew it was like nine months, but at the same time, they really had, you, you had literally no idea uh, if it was a boy or a girl, you didn't know when the baby was going to come. And especially for women, uh, dying in childbirth was much more common in Paul's day, right? I mean, there's only in recent years, history that child dying in childbirth um the odds of you dying went drastically down just because of, of modern medicine which is praise god but for women it was it was one of those things where i mean it had to be kind of terrifying because not only was labor going to be long and painful you didn't you didn't see it coming but you also didn't know if you're going to you know live to uh, to afterwards you, you could die of, of blood loss or a hemorrhage or whatever it is and so for paul uh, these people of darkness, that's how they kind of approach the second coming or their death. 
as a thief in the night or as a woman approaching childbirth. They, it's, it's almost, it's a, it's a timidity, it's a fear of approaching. And he's saying that's not the Christian way of looking at this. It says, uh, verse four, for you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. So, pausing there. So, a couple things. Um, His whole idea, Paul's whole idea is, if you've been baptized into Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are living in the day, right? if you're a child of the light. Remember in antiquity, antiquity too, they didn't have electricity right so when it when the sun went down it was it was dark 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 i mean sure you could have lit a fire maybe had some lamps or whatever but anybody who's ever been camping and truly been camping where you don't have like car lights or whatever on knows that a fire only does so much and a lamp only does so much i mean when you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no electricity around i mean it's it's dark and so in antiquity there was definitely a sense of dark bad light good sun good you know dark bad um and so paul's using it and this is a very common uh i mean you read john light and darkness is all over john and first second first second third john gospel of john and so with that paul talks about you know the idea of being sober and and sobriety not just in the sense of of not getting drunk but also of being alert right because those who are sober have the ability to be alert and, and a, a poor way to read this is saying that Paul here is condemning uh, alcohol. Because if you read the, the, the canon, the, the Old Testament and New Testament as a whole, uh, Jesus drank wine. Like, literally, we have a couple stories. Wedding Feast of Cana, he made wine in the Last Supper. We know he drank wine then. He probably drank wine in other places too. And in the Old Testament too, right? And I think it's Psalm 133 or something like that talks about the, the goodness of wine and um, so alcohol in and of itself is not a bad thing, but getting drunk is why it makes you less human, right? It, it, it's a, you're, it's beneath your dignity to get drunk. So Paul is for sure condemning drunkenness because it happens at night, right? It, it, it's those that, that don't live in the day. Um, so as Christians, as Catholics, yes, getting drunk is bad. Alcohol though is, is not bad in and of itself. That being said, if you struggle with struggle with alcoholism, and if alcohol is a near occasion of sin for you, then yes, you sh- then it is a sin for you to drink it because you're it's a near occasion of sin. We have to avoid near occasion of sins at all costs. But if you can have a glass or two of wine or one or two beers or one or two drinks and be totally fine, um, then it's it's not a bad thing. And I think it's G.K. Chesterton said, says, "Drink to make a happy heart happier." Right? Rejoice with those who are rejoicing, um, and so. And part of the reason we can we can say Paul's for sure not condemning uh, alcohol here is because he's also not condemning sleep, right? Uh, he, he's not saying sleep and you know drunkenness or sleep and drinking are are evil because then we would all just be zombies walking around because we could. Said Paul says we can't sleep. Um, no, it's like no. Uh, so getting getting drunk, yes, sin. Alcohol, no, not a sin. Just like sleep is not a sin. But he's saying that. We need to live as those who are alert at all times. We need to live as those who are expecting the coming of the Messiah at all times. And that's going to hold you accountable, right? It's going to hold you accountable to live a holy, faithful life. And then he talks about in verse 8, having put on 
the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Pulling from Isaiah 59 here. Uh, so why do we do these things? Why do we stay alert? Uh, why do we belong to the day? It's because we've put on faith, hope, and love. We've received these theological virtues from the Holy Spirit to believe and to be faithfully obedient to God, to love him, to will the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to hope for salvation, to hope to be with God in heaven. And so the second coming of Jesus is not a thing to be scared of, right? Your death is not a thing to be scared of. It's, it's, uh, it, is, it should be a joyful occasion because you know you're going to be united with your Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, that being said, it takes a saint to get there, right? I'm not saying I'm that way right now. I think if I was about to die, I, I don't know what I would, how I would react. It's, it's a big question. But um, that's kind of the goal, right? I mean, you definitely read about saints who, who longed for death. Uh, Saint Therese of comes to mind uh, because they want to be united with Jesus Christ, their love, right? Their love, their desire. Um, he talks about, for God did not destine us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Remember in verse four, uh, he talks about those who have fallen asleep. So he's kind of pulling that theme together here too. Um, and so while God has destined us for, not destined us for wrath, he, he also, but to obtain salvation or to, to gain salvation. So we don't want to read uh, Calvin into this, right? Calvin saying it's all God or it's all God, uh, whether you're saved or condemned, it's all God. You have no say in the matter. Uh, that's not the Catholic approach. We're not going to get into predestination right now, but just briefly touching on it because it's brought up here. Uh, grace uh, isn't competitive. It's it's cooperative. God it invites us to cooperate with him. And so God doesn't destine anybody for wrath. He, he just doesn't. God is not intentionally sending anybody to hell. At the same time, God's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. So if you don't want to spend eternity with him, he's not going to make you do that. It's going to be, you're going to cooperate with grace. You're either going to accept or reject the grace um, through grace. It's the primacy of grace through faith. Um, and so read Aquinas if you want to know more about that. And there's a lot of other people who are going to talk more about that. It's not really in the bandwidth of the podcast to talk about predestination, at least not in first uh, Thessalonians. There's other places where we could talk about it a little bit more, but just as a, as a kind of, you know, there's two extremes you can't fall into Pelagianism and Calvinism. Pelagianism says that we take the first step towards our salvation. So we take the first step and then God seeing our first step gives us grace. Church says, Nope, that's a heresy. On the other extreme, we have Calvin, who says it's all God and not us. You're either saved or condemned, and you have no option in the matter. You have no choice in the matter, so sucks to suck. Uh, so those are the two boundaries that the church says, nope, neither of those are true. Those are both extremes. Those are both uh, heresies. Uh, but And so it falls somewhere in the middle, right, where uh, it's the primacy of grace through faith. So God's always the one who initiates. God's always the one that gives the gift first. Yet in some mysterious way, he invites us to cooperate with the grace. Um, and to respond with the grace and to work with him and to obtain, that's the word, obtain or gain salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, so we're going to finish uh, first five, uh, chapter five here and just kind of going through it uh, relatively quickly. We, we read, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So this is kind of a final admonition. Um, 
you know, the final instructions and, and benediction as well and near the end. Um, so what he says, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So namely, there's, there's probably, there's presbyters in the town that, that Paul would have appointed. There's, there's priests, basically, the fathers. Um, bishops, who Paul would have appointed, um, and, or Timothy would have appointed to uh, lead the Thessalonican community after they left. Um, and so Paul, you know, just briefly saying here, like, hey, like, I, we appointed those people in Christ. They're, they're, the, they're the priests, they're the presbyters. Um, so listen to them, right? Be obedient to them. Uh, when, they, when they admonish you, when they try to correct you, listen to them, right? So you always get the sense of this letter was written and requested because the presbyters, you know, they, they, they hollered at Paul and were like, Paul, they're not listening to us. They're being dumb. And Paul's like, let me write a letter. Um, and so uh, kind of get that sense here. But once again, that's not, that's not community was close to Paul's heart. So he also just wanted to write the letter. Um, so he said to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. He goes on, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle or the disorderly or undisciplined. That word can go a few different ways. Um, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So admonish the idle. So there's namely probably people in the community who um, were not super disciplined. They were potentially lazy. And Paul's encouraging them to, no, like work, right? Like I did, work, work with your hands, um, earn, your, earn your way, um, and also, but also be patient with those who are struggling with that, right? Paul's saying, be patient with them. Be peace among yourselves. Um, he goes on, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now that's a hard line, y'all. That's a, that's a tough one. Because remember in the Old Testament, it says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, when somebody slaps you on the right cheek, offer them the other as well. When somebody takes your cloak, offer your tunic. And so uh, this is the elevation of the law. We don't repay evil for evil. We don't, it's, there's no quid pro quos. There's no, you, you did this, so I do this. It's, it's everything is love. Everything is grace. Be a person who doesn't add evil to the world, but adds goodness and love who absorbs evil, even though it's hard, you, you take the hits, you, you absorb it, and you give back all the love in your heart that you can. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. This is hard for a lot of people, praying without ceasing. Like, do I just walk around, just pray our fathers and Hail Marys all the time? Uh, one of the ways that you can, you can talk about this is, one, obviously living in a state of grace, because that way you're always living a life meritorious and living a life uh, desiring to be united with Christ in heaven. Um, but another way is, think about this, is one of the things I like to do is in the beginning of my day, you know, offering the day for someone or something in your life. In the beginning of your day, say, Lord, I offer up this day for my spouse or my child or my children or this colleague at work or this situation at work or with the family. And then that way, the rest of your day, everything you, everything you do that day, good that day, it is a prayer for whatever you offered it up for. Um, so it's a little practice that I do that I encourage you guys to incorporate as well. So wrapping up the letter, we read, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this final benediction, Paul giving a blessing, you know, greet one of the holy kiss, you know, the sign of peace. It used to be the kiss of peace. Um, kissing wasn't like this overly sexual thing back in antiquity. Um, you would do it. Like you said, some cultures, um, French cultures, European cultures, Roman cultures, they kiss each other when they see each other, family and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of it. We can say a bit more about it, but a lot of it is pretty obvious. And it's a benediction. It's beautiful. And uh, yeah, so that's that's First Thessalonians, y'all. Uh, so really quickly, Second um, Thessalonians, uh, same basic story. The the letter was written very very shortly after First uh, Thessalonians. Why is he writing it? Um, so we'll re- we'll get we'll see this throughout Second Thessalonians. But um, the Thessalonians were still confused about uh, the Perusia, the second coming of the Lord. So he's going to address that again. Um, and they're also ignoring some instructions that he gave to work, to not be lazy. So he's going to address that as well. So those are some of the themes in Second Thessalonians that we're going to see. Um, and so we're going to dive into Second Thessalonians next week. It's a pretty short letter. It's only uh, three chapters, I think. Um, sorry if you're hearing my pages turn. Yeah, three chapters. Just make sure I didn't want to lie to you. Um, and so we'll go through it relatively quickly and kind of finish it up uh, in about a week or two. Uh, but that's First Thessalonians. I hope you've enjoyed, and we'll see you next time. So once again, thank you so much for joining us with on Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase. Give us a like, give us a review, give us a share. Talk about us with your friends and family, but only if it's in good, nice, affirming words, uh, because that'd be awesome. I'll see you next time. God bless, guys.